I have a saying that a lot of people know of, which is nothing will ruin a great employee faster than watching you tolerate a bad one. Hmm. The more you tolerate bad behavior, the more other people will see that. And even your great employees, even the ones who are awesome, there's no way they can't psychologically go, oh shoot, okay, well if he's willing to uh, tolerate that, then yeah, I'm gonna work hard, but I don't have to work that hard, right? Because yeah. he's okay with that. Hello and welcome to the Digital Orthodontist Live. I'm your host, Dr. Kyle Fagala, and today I am joined by leadership, business, and relationship expert, Dino Watt. Dino, how are we doing, buddy? I'm awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Excited to have you here. What's brought you to Memphis, I wonder? Ah, maybe you're going to visit a little <laughs> Saddle Creek Orthodontics. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to be doing that later today. But first, let's podcast. Uh, so Dino, if you're not familiar with him, you should be. But, you know, he speaks to standing room only audiences in the orthodontic world, Literally, someone told me that, and I went, and it was standing room only. It's amazing. Uh, he's host of his own podcast, the Propreneur Podcast. Uh, he also has two meetings, the Team Transformation Experience and also Ortho Evolution, which he co-hosts with Tracy Martin, Jill Allen, and Michelle Shimon. So needless to say, he's a very busy guy, and we are very privileged to have him here in Memphis today. Uh, so we're going to cover Dino's greatest hits, as it were, uh, so prepare to drink from the fire hose. Uh, we're gonna discuss how to create and maintain excellent team culture. We're gonna talk about marketing ideas with a uh, potential economic downturn on the horizon. We're going to look at how to use our time the best way possible, how to get the most out of our relationships, how to sell through a screen, and yes, there's more. We're gonna cover the topic of languishing and how it could be the hidden syndrome that's dragging your team down. Man, I felt like everyone out there is like, I can't wait That's a lot. to learn all of that. <laughs> so in this three-hour edition That's of the right. Digital Orthodontist Live. Um, but first, I want to thank our episode sponsor, Neon Canvas. Neon Canvas, in my opinion, is the premier marketing agency for orthodontists. Our completely U.S.-based team features over 50 experts in each area of digital marketing, including search engine optimization, web and graphic design, branding, photo and video services, and much, much more. Neon Canvas clients, this is new, now also receive a collection of 13 proven orthodontic systems for my practice when signing up. There's some really great stuff in there. And so if you're ready to grow your practice like never before, please check us out at neoncanvas.com. All right, so Dino. Yes. Great to see you. Thanks for awesome enduring the intro. No, it's great. I it's really amazing how you, you kind of pop right into the, the podcast mode, right? It is. Yeah, you have to. You have to zero get to, zero to 60. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I'm going to start with some personal questions, oh, okay. if that's okay. We're yeah, going to start sure. little, little Barbara Walters. and then we'll, Kind of an open book. My we'll, wife doesn't like that too much, but I am. <laughs> I always, I'm an open book as well. So, But you don't get to ask any questions today. That'll have to be on ProPreneur. Nice. You know? so, um, so we want to get to know you better. Uh, what were you like as a kid? Maybe uh, interests, hobbies, and so on. Yeah, so I'm a middle child, so I was always searching for attention, right? Because uh, yep. I had two older brothers and a younger sister. She got all the attention for all the new stuff. And actually, it's interesting because I just saw something on a TV show uh, called The Offer where a young girl was, mm -hmm. the lady was talking about why she did something she did. And she said, you know, my whole life, I've only had hand-me-downs. I never got to choose anything myself. My style was what my brothers or sisters didn't want. And even when I got married, my husband bought a house that I you know, moved into. And I totally connected with that because yeah. that's how I was as a kid. I just was the kid who got everything handed down. I never got a choice in anything. And so when I found, I had a teacher in third grade who put me in a play. 
and had me lip sync to the song uh, Dirty Laundry by Don Henley. Don Henley, yeah. And everyone was laughing <laughs> and clapping. And I went, oh, this is my thing. My brothers and sisters are not good at performing. They're not good mm. at getting attention. And so I was an attention seeker. Big Do- time. Don Henley, a drummer who sings. Yes. Much like myself. There okay. you go. That's amazing. Um, like outside of the performing, I love that because yeah. that helps me sort of understand you for sure. Yeah. Um, what else were you in as a kid? Like what, what were your hobbies? What, what, what made you tick? Really what was interesting is I wasn't, I, I did all the things that you did back in the 70s. Like I was in baseball and, and uh, soccer and I hated it all. <laughs> I was definitely a right fielder. Right. Okay. I was there. In the, I remember getting in trouble because I, I, I pulled the grass around me in a circle and I was proud of it. I was like, oh, look, I made a circle. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you're not supposed to be doing that. But because I was sitting down the whole time in right field doing nothing. <laughs> um, I, I was somebody who really enjoyed being around people. Okay. Back then, too, we, you know, definitely the latchkey kid. My parents divorced. So it was like mm-hmm. me coming home, doing my own thing, taking care of myself. And I was obsessed with television shows, like mm. like sitcoms. I pretty much, I have kind of a Rain Manish type thing with sitcom theme songs. I even wrote a speech one time that was only sitcom theme songs, like the words of the theme songs. Yeah, you can find it on YouTube. Did you know that when I lecture uh, now, I share my favorite theme songs? From no, shows? really? Yes. Yeah. What's your favorite theme song? My top five. Well, uh, you'd have to see my lecture. No, okay. uh, my number one, and you're going to say, oh, okay, is The Office. Yeah, okay. I really like that theme Great. song. We yeah. also did a Halloween costume to it. Yeah. Um, I think I've got, uh, what do I have? The Jeffersons is on there. Yeah. Brady Bunch is on there. Yeah. Uh, Fresh Prince, Prince of Bel-Air is on there. Great. Cheers is on there. Cheers yep. is going to be on there. And then my bonus is The Golden Girls. Thank Ooh. you for being a friend. It's you know what my one. bonus is that nobody will ever get? Joni Loves Chachi. Oh, okay. That is a great theme song. Sure. It's one of my Happy favorites. Days is also great. Happy Days is a great one. Yeah. I, we do this all day long. <laughs> I didn't know. Like, I'm sitting here watching you like, wait. Now, I thought I was it's a kid insane. that was addicted to TV. No, okay, no, so now great. I see why we're so similar. All right. Um, let, as much as I would love to stay on this for 20 minutes, let, let's press on. Uh, we'll talk more after the, I mean, the show. I a bonus. But, yeah, there will be a bonus episode <laughs> where we just talk about sitcoms. Um, what's your professional career been like? Obviously, like, no now, but, like, yeah. what got you to here? And then I think it's always nice to maybe share some successes and some failures over yeah. the years. So. Well, um, I actually never, ever thought I'd be in this industry at all. Mm. I did not set out to this at all. I actually set out to be a performer and, and mm. an actor in L.A. Uh, I quickly, because I needed to feed my family, I actually had my degree in makeup artistry. So I actually no was a professional Hollywood makeup artist for a while. Wow. Blood, guts, all that stuff, plus beauty, all that fun stuff. Oh, yeah. And um, when I quickly realized about, you know, I was about seven years in that, this not conducive to having a family Um, and being at home. I liked being at home with my kids and stuff. And so I got into real estate, oddly enough, back in California. And that made me see somebody on a stage who was Mm -hmm. talking about taxes and he was hysterical and Mm -hmm. just really made everybody engaged. And I went, oh, I could still perform, but maybe not on TV and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. And uh, that's when I started seeking out learning how to speak on stage and how to train people. Hmm. And the two topics I cared about most in the world were uh, marriage. I really saw what my parents did as a lesson of what not to do Yeah. and decided to do something different in my marriage. And I thought I could help people do that. And then the other part was I was always that kid in school who everybody came to for advice about like how to... Be, get to better and get uh, along better in their relationship or how to get along with their parents and 
I just thought that would be kind of cool to do if I could do that. And started focusing on that. Um, somebody asked me about marriage at an event that I did, and I made up a program that I did not have. <laughs> but they were asking me about it. I'm like, yeah, I do this thing called the business of marriage, and I help people put marriage principles into their or business principles into their marriage. And I got a ton of people coming over going like, wow, I want to know about that. So I decided to make a business out of it. <laughs> about six months later, I'm doing it full time. And I had a friend in Utah who was a financial advisor who dealt with chiropractors, dentists, uh, orthodontists, and attorneys. And he said, do you know the number one reason why people fight in our meetings is money mm-hmm. and they're married and I don't want to deal with their marriage. So will you help them with their marriage and I'll deal with the money? I said, sure. One day I got a call from an orthodontist, had the orthodontist, had me come out to his house. I actually super nannied him for a little bit. And he said, well, this is working great in my marriage, but in my office, I'm married to 12 work wives. Can you help me out there? And I went, sure. And went into the office. And because of what I had done with business before, I was able to see some things that his consultants weren't actually telling him or couldn't see because they just, yeah. they were focused on the, the orthodontic side yeah, of the business. systems and the, yeah. yeah. And I was like, no, let's talk about your relationships and how you're communicating. And it worked really, really well. And he said, Dino, no one's talking like this in our industry. Will you come speak on the stage? It was at the Pitts Progressive Group. Yeah. And I said, sure. And went in there and got a client out of that. And that snowballed. And that's the really quick version of a, it's probably about a seven year journey. So today, are you pretty much all orthodontics? Or are you still active in other? Yeah. No, I've been pretty much, I actually just got an, another dental client who is the husband of an orthodontist that I work with. Okay. Um, but yeah, pretty much all orthodontists. I've done financial services, um, done some dentists, like I said, a chiropractor, a naturopath. But I mean, the systems are pretty much the same. People yeah. are people, right? Yeah. Um, but when it comes to failure- this... well, Unless they're periodontists, but yes. I'm it's sure a, that's a good a, joke. It's, it's just a great joke. It's, it was a good joke. It was a pretty good. I think someone enjoyed it, but go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of inside things that sometimes I'm like, right, sure. It was worth interrupting you for. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll edit it out if no one laughs. No, We're going to test Everyone's it. Everyone's busting gonna, up. Yeah, well, fair enough. Okay. Um, you mentioned failures, though, because I do want to make sure that yeah, it's, of course. it's understood. that I. So when <clears> I was in Hollywood, one of the things I did is I produced a TV show. And I produced a show that was... Um, supposed to, it was sold to a small company that was going to put five minute clips on the internet yeah. for people to download and watch during their lunchtime. Sounds amazing. Pre YouTube. Yeah. I sold it for $13 million. I was very excited because I did the whole production, the whole thing, the whole show, the hot pilot program for $10,000 that I begged, borrowed and steal from, wow. from friends and family. And if anybody who's old enough here to remember the dot bomb that yeah. happened. So I signed the contract on a Thursday. By the following Friday, the company was bankrupt. Oh. With my contract in hand. So I made no money and Fabulous. I was in very much depression. And that's where I first learned like not to put all your eggs in one basket and yeah. <laughs> how, how bad it could go. That was the biggest failure, I would say, when it came to come to business. But it also forced me... A friend of mine ran an entertainment company and said, hey, why don't you come and manage this company for me because I need to build it. And it made me go to a different direction. And I built that company up to a very successful business in about five years. And 
That's great. And then that turned everything else. I didn't know this. These are great I, stories, mm-hmm. man. Thank you for yeah. getting those up. I go a lot deeper, but I know we only have 13 time. million. It's, yeah, the, it's right? the number 13, I think, was probably. I'm not a numerologist, true. but you that's, know. I didn't was, think about that. So you should have asked for 14 or maybe <sighs> just taken 12 and you would have been okay. What was the show? Sorry. I, yeah. I, it was called Soap Dish Daily, and it was basically Entertainment Tonight meets soap operas. Back when they had more soap operas yeah. on TV. And uh, I mean, we. we moved it around i met with jenny jones if people remember jenny jones show i, I met with her at her in her yeah. offices uh we uh, there's a show on right now called paradise island with a a different mark Wahlberg, who's the host i'm sure people will know who that is <laughs> wouldn't He's, it suck to be the other mark Wahlberg? He is go the other mark Wahlberg. <laughs> and he was with dick clark productions he shopped it around and we finally found this little company and it, it was one of those things where i mean we were living in a 700 foot square foot apartment I had three kids under three. We had zero money. And I'm telling you, we really did. We asked mm. friends and family to to take a chance on me. And I bootstrapped the heck out of the thing. I was working part-time as a DJ. And this was going to be it. This was the moment. I remember I was working at Nordstrom's for my main job at the, in the makeup counter. And I remember when we produced the show and we got it all done, I took it to Nordstrom's for a morning meeting. And they let me show the pilot to everybody. It was a about a 18 minute pilot. Yeah. And everybody was all celebrating with me. They're like, that was amazing. That was awesome. And I had friends who I had, uh, you know, I, I hired them to be the host of it. And it was just like entertainment tonight. I had behind the scenes stuff. It was crazy. And so when I sold it, I had that moment of like, I went to work. I was like, you guys, I'm done. You know, and yeah. they say, what would you do if you won the lottery? And people yeah. are like, I'd quit. Yeah, I, I did. I went and I was like, Guys, I'm putting my two weeks notice. I'm done. I just made this. And everybody's celebrating with me. And a week later, like that, all the pet.coms, all that stuff, that was that week. And uh, I went into a really bad depression. Like I really was really bad. And it was was not a good time. And it took me uh, probably about 15 years to have enough courage mm. to go back to the friends and family when I actually started making money again. And I paid every single one of them back wow. that, that thousand dollars that they gave me. I'm like, you're not getting interest on it, but thousand dollars <laughs> back. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, they were all Uncle happy. Joe asked for the interest, were, but you're like, no, you're not getting it. That's right. Um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Maybe dare I say the best story that I've heard on this podcast. That <laughs> oh, wow. was great. It was really, really good stuff. So um, let's jump into some orthodontic stuff yeah, sure. because somebody out there, they enjoy the periodontist joke, but now they're like, can we get into the, <laughs> the dentistry stuff? So um, we're going to talk, like I said, multiple different things. We're going to start with team culture. Yeah. That's probably of all the stuff we're talking about, the, like the most uh, universally needed topic to discuss. So that's why we're starting with it, you know? Sure. We don't bury the lead here. Um, so first question is, at this point, I'm guessing you've been in dozens of orthodontic practices. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. Sure. Um, are there any like common cultural issues that you see? Like what are the most common things in terms of bad team culture maybe that you see? Yeah. You know, I think probably the most common one that is, is overlooked. And I think a lot of people think they have it, but when you deal, when you dive down, they don't is Number one, a very specific vision of what we're doing here and mm-hmm. that we're all on the same mission. And I think it's easy to say, well, we're here to you know provide for our patients and give them a great smile and stuff. But yeah. you know, that doesn't really separate you from anybody else. It doesn't, it, there's, there's no uh, differentiator between you and the guy down the street then if that's true. And there's no reason why somebody wouldn't leave you as a 
team member to go to somewhere else if that's true. Right. And then the second thing that leads to that is the value system that you have. I actually just spoke about you today during that call that I was mentioning earlier because you guys are do something a little different. I believe that what keeps offices together and grows cultures are similar value systems. Hmm. Not necessarily core values because I think core values can sometimes sound like a judgment. Yeah. but value system. And why I mentioned you is uh, when I first came to your office and during your morning huddle, you said a prayer. Now, in our societal climate today and what's going on, that's unusual. Hmm. And I thought that was awesome because in some way, every single person in your office likes that as a value and adapted it. I don't care how religious they are, how spiritual they are, yeah. but in some way they went, okay, this is a place where they care enough to pray over me and over our patients today. And I've had that at a couple offices in Texas. I was in office once before, but you contrast that to not every office needs to have that, but what are the other values you have? Uh, if you go to the Huffington Post, for example, they have nap rooms hmm. at the Huffington Post because uh, Ariana Huffington really values <laughs> people being able to go and take a nap when they need to take a nap. So. I think the way that you really grow culture from what I've seen and what I've, and I used to work for Disney and so we can get into that a little bit if we need to, but yeah. I think that when you have a group of people who have a set value system and can understand that you might think politically, socially uh, different than I do, but when it comes to the work environment, our values are matched, hmm. we can grow despite those differences that are happening out there. So I think those two things, vision and values, trump all strategy you can come up with when it comes hmm. to culture. Okay, I like that. So obviously if you're struggling with vision and values, yeah. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta sort of st strategically go after that. Yeah. Um, so if you're working with a team and they've got issues, like how do you sort of strategically approach that? Because obviously you kind of do this thing like, it's almost like one of those reality shows where they go in and they're undercover and they, yeah. they, they watch the restaurant and it's just yeah. a disaster yeah, or whatever. Yeah, and then yeah. they come back and like, here's what we got to do. Right. Like, how do you approach, and we're kind of going through the process, but yeah. how do you approach fixing those things, getting people on board and yeah. all that? I mean, I don't know. Well, you know, I do a lot of yelling. Yeah. Like I'm screaming at people. Always I'm Gordon Ramsay of the ortho space, <laughs> for sure. Throw, uh, lots of throwing of omelets, you know, right, or whatever. Right, so, yeah, right. for lots sure. Lots of swearing. Yeah. Um, no, so it always obviously tops, starts with the top down. And yep. so the first thing we do is we figure out, okay, what really is the vision? What do you want? What's the ripple effect you want to make in the world? Or as Steve Jobs says, the dent in the universe, mm -hmm. right? And so we figure that out. And then we just have to talk about it a lot. I'll use Disney. Everybody knows Disney's, Walt Disney's dream was to create the happiest place on earth. He's been dead for over 60 plus years. Yep. And yet everybody knows we go to the happiest place on earth. And so what is that very simple, relatable, retellable vision and doesn't always necessarily have to be about the thing you do. It just has to be how that thing, how it helps the thing you do grow and makes people part of a cause. There's so much data around mission focused, mm -hmm. uh, cause based things that help people want to be a part of. And so that's the first place. And then as you'll see tomorrow, we're gonna go through and we create, okay, what are the vision, what are the values that everybody is aligned with? What do people want? And that's probably the most important question that I ask, which is, what do you want? Because if I know what you want, then we can reverse engineer what it takes to get what you want. But if I don't know what you want, we're just shooting in the dark. Yeah. So 
vision, values, and then based on what do you want. And so we start there first always. Can you give me some examples of maybe some visions? Like, yeah. Because if someone was like, I mean, maybe to all this, like, hey, you know, I, I don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what's what's most a good people vision? Don't. I don't know. Yeah, like, most people don't. Uh, I'll tell you one that was one of my one of my favorites. Uh, is a doctor out of uh, Northern California, Dr. Dave Datweiler. Um, we sat together and we were going through a questionnaire that I have. And I, I go through that. I find out some keywords and where they're thinking and what they want. And I found out through the conversation that he was an architect before he was an orthodontist. Hmm. And he had done uh, architecture, I want to say for two, three years and just really hated it, decided to go back to school. His dad happened to have been an orthodontist as well before. So he went to school, became an orthodontist. And the first question I said was, well, then you're the, you're the smile architect, right? <laughs> and he was like, I never even thought about that. And I was like, what? That's like right there branding wise. That's right in yeah. front of you. Well, as we're going through his desires and what he wants for his people, the ultimate vision he came up with was designing a reason for you to smile the rest of your life. Hmm. Now that's bigger than a slogan, right? Because what they do then is they approach and, and I actually was blessed enough to be able to, I was doing some work in the area and I got to go see him two days ago and still in his, this 10 years now in his office in his lunchroom is the core, are the core values posted. And the very first one is every patient is a rock star. And when he, comes up with this idea of designing a reason. First of all, designing, it's about him. He loves design work. He has pictures of bridges in his office. He has all these things going on that show uh, that he loves design. And then a reason for you to smile the rest of your life tells me it's beyond what you're gonna do here, mm -hmm. but that every time they're gonna look in the mirror, oh yeah, okay, there's a reason to smile today. I have straight teeth. I mm -hmm. got treated a good way. Um, I was made to feel a certain way. And it just extends beyond, uh, we create great smiles. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Great example. One final question on team culture. Yeah, yeah. What are the things, and of course, you only go visit like really awesome teams. That uh, have of everything course, up, yes. But, uh, what are some consistent issues you see that make great team culture, I won't say impossible, mm -hmm. but difficult? The number one, and this is going to be hard for so many people, the number one thing is, is that when you allow, put up with, tolerate bad behavior, hmm. it is the beginning of the, the end of your culture in your office. Now, every office has a culture. Let me just say that. Every, it doesn't matter if you designed it or not. The culture is typically designed, or sorry, uh, it is, uh, is helmed by the person with the strongest personality in the office. Now, personality doesn't mean a good personality, Yeah. but it could be that person who is, you're allowing to tr trample all over your values because you don't wanna cause waves. I have a saying that a lot of people know of, which is nothing will ruin a great employee faster than watching you tolerate a bad one. Hmm. The more you tolerate bad behavior, the more other people will see that. And even your great employees, even the ones who are awesome, there's no way they can't psychologically go, oh, shoot. Okay, well, if he's willing to uh, tolerate that, then yeah, I'm going to work hard, but I don't have to work that hard, right? Because yeah. he's okay with that. And the second thing is what's really hard, and this is what's going to be hard for people, is the hardest team member to have, bar none, is the person who is great at what they do and not a fit for your culture. Hmm. 
because you make excuses for them and you will be like, but I don't want to like their talent is so good, but they're the fastest in the clinic, but they're, and you'll come up with all these things. And no matter what, it is the demise of your culture hmm. and it sets the pace. Hmm. That was a great answer. Thank you. So it's time for the next thing. Okay. Again, remember we're drinking from we the fire hose here. Yeah. Fireman, <laughs> fireman Dino here. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, I sort of had this weird image. We'll cut this out. I'm sure of like, you know, like the classic like male stripper who's dressed as a fireman i'm glad you're thinking and, of me as a male stripper that's, that's good just to the know. first part of the male stripper part you know like you show up to the party and everyone's like Woo, I, don't know. I don't know kyle what is a classic stripper fireman <laughs> i don't know i've just seen it in shows there was a tom green episode back in the day uh let's jump into the next topic which is time management how are we managing our time on this podcast i don't know um so uh in terms of time management it, this is a very general and broad question but yeah how are people wasting their time these days because we've been wasting time as is as people for thousands of years sure but, but yeah. w- what about today what's unique i want to know did did my wife ask you to ask this question <laughs> no. uh you're a little I, add aren't you, you i'm very that. ADHD, yeah right very much and i didn't know uh, i didn't know that at all until i was i didn't know i was dyslexic until my son but it makes sense most most entrepreneurs have adhd yeah and most creatives have ADHD because you just get sparked by so many different things. So I think uh, obviously creativity or time wasting is happening around social media is a big thing. But I also think a lot of people, and, I, and I'm guilty of this, is we get we waste time with things that don't matter, but we're intrigued by. Mm-hmm. Like I can go down some rabbit holes. We were actually just talking to some of your your team members here about the new chat, you know, GP, chat GTP. GPT. Yeah, man, I've no joke been up till two, three in the morning mm-hmm. just rabbit holing that sucker it's like amazing. crazy. It's the best, and I am. It's the best trying to figure out how to use it. What's like, your favorite TV theme? Oh, Chat GPT. Oh, that's a great. Question. We gotta ask. That's, good. that's a really good. Question. What's the best? What's the you know? Best it's gonna come up with Cheers. It's gonna probably Cheers, cheers and that's probably, okay. Yeah, and that's a good one. Do that Mash maybe. But yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So it so we waste time on things that don't necessarily matter, which I don't think is is necessarily a bad thing. But mm-hmm. figuring out when to do that is probably the most important thing. Mm-hmm. I actually create in my schedule uh, very specific blocks of like free time, mm-hmm. where it'll say, okay, it's two hours of free time. And that means if I wanted to stare at the wall for two hours, that's my free time. That's what I get to do. The challenge is, is I'm a contributor. I like to contribute to people. And this is where I don't um, guard my time as well as I should. This is where I joke about my wife because my wife, great example, just the other day, uh, somebody just reached out, uh, hadn't talked to them in probably five, six years, said, hey, Dino, I have a guy on the, uh, that I know who is looking to buy a home from this other person, but he's not sure how to do it creatively. And I just immediately thought of you. Would you mind talking to him? And I said, sure, why not? Well, I didn't know he's going to call me within three minutes. Mm. So the guy calls me three minutes, and I spend a good 45 minutes on the phone with this guy. But I really enjoyed it, right? I, I got to give him some creative solutions, yeah. stuff that he wasn't thinking of. And every time I hear him going, oh, wow, I never thought about it. Oh, I could totally do that. It feeds me. Well, of course, Shannon comes in about 40 <laughs> minutes into that phone call, and she's like, who are you talking to? Yeah. I was like, oh, this is, I tell her afterwards, she's like, you just spent 45 minutes of your time with this guy. I know. Shannon sounds like me. It's that contribution <laughs> that I love to do. Yeah. So, um, so I have to time block. And what I was going to say about the time blocking thing is sure. when it's free time, 
Uh, I've had to get in the habit because when I first started doing it, people were like, hey, Dino, do you have any free time on Tuesday? Look at my schedule. Yeah, I do have free time. Mm. And they'll say, oh, cool. Can we meet at this time? Done it. No, no, no. It's my free time. It's not that you fill up my time time. It's my free time to do mm. whatever. And that's helped me quite a bit when I can actually just block out stuff. And with my schedule, I really have to. Yeah. yeah. So with time management, what are, I mean, I guess one of your tips and tricks would be to maybe block your schedule. Time block, I mean, yeah. you know, so I think the first thing you talked about, to me at least, reminds me of the Eisenhower matrix. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with no, that. I'm not. No, I'm No? Okay. Um, President Eisenhower, I think it's in the seven habits of highly effective people. I think it's in that book. Okay. And it talks about the four quadrants. So oh. behavior is driven by urgency, okay. not, not importance. Yeah. And so that the quadrant that we should spend now. the greatest amount of time in that creates legacy and change yes. is things that are not urgent, but that are important. And yeah. where do we spend most of our time increasingly thanks to social media and devices? Well, the quadrant that's not important and it's not even urgent. Yeah, no, it's not, totally. not urgent that we uh, no. binge a full season of a show that's not even that good, but we do it anyway. That's right. Um, so that's what that I didn't reminded me that of. was called that. That's great. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I probably, know that, that, that. Yeah, Eisenhower Box, Eisenhower Matrix. Awesome. Yeah, it's good stuff. That's yeah. my favorite, like how I conceptualize how I should spend my time yeah. and what I should be involved in. Um, so blocking your time, yep. giving, based on your unique personality type, blocking time to serve maybe the weaknesses that you have as an ADD yeah. person, you know? No, that's um, a really good point. But to protect that time to be productive or to not be productive, yeah. which I think is good for the mind. Because, yeah, there are some nights where all I want to do is I want to come home from doing a bunch of important stuff and do nothing. I think it's necessary. I want to veg. No, I think it's necessary, yeah. Kyle. I think too many, especially high performers and high achievers, which everyone listening to this is because you've gotten to where you are because you're a high performer, is the value of recreation or recreation. Hmm. And to be able to say, no, my brain, there's a great book by um, Jim Quick called Limitless. And he, he's, a, he's a memorization and speed reading expert. And mm -hmm. he talks about this idea of you have to be able to give your brain that break. And it can't just be sleep. Sleep is super important, right? Yeah. But to be able to, you'll be more creative and more productive if you set your time to just enjoy yourself. Look, when you're drumming, I'm not, I'm gonna guess, but it's kind of like when I'm dancing, it's active meditation. You're not focused on all the other minutia mm. and stuff. You're just there in the moment. Yep. And that helps you down the road. When I was doing real estate, I used to tell people, my very first principle was get more creative. Go to a pottery class, a painting class, a dancing class, something, mm. because the more creative you are, the more money you will make. If you think about in our society, the people who are the most creative make the most money. Hmm. Jim Carrey makes more money, or used to when he was hot, makes more money than Meryl Streep on a movie. Why? Because it's, to us, comedy, silliness, it's him being creative. She's amazing. She's dramatic. She's there. She's also being creative, but we see it differently. The most creative people make the most money. Hmm. Interesting. I like it. Let's shift on. Yeah. You're the, like, if I Google you, it says, Dino what? Relationship expert. Oh, that's okay. It does. Wow, that's great. Uh, so we're going to talk relationships. Does chat say that too? I should chat. Chat. I should chat, I should like, chat that. We're not sure <laughs> about <laughs> Who, that. Who's this guy? Yeah. Uh, no, that's not true. <laughs> Actually, that would be a great exercise right now is if I had my computer. Aliases. <laughs> what do you know about Dino Watt? That would be amazing. Um, let's talk a little bit about relationships. Obviously, we all deal with strained relationships and so on. Yeah. Um, and you've got a rich history of 
working with couples yeah. and and part of why you know we worked with you is that my wife and i have worked together for 10 years yeah. it's not easy no you know we're doing our best but very uh, unique situation yeah. yeah so uh tell us a little bit about how you work with relationships what do you do to help people and just that whole thing yeah, um, you're right. Working with each other can be challenging. My wife and I are challenged working with each other. She is a totally different personality than I am. We used to actually do events together, seminars together, where we right. would trade on stage together. And that worked really well because we would do our own uh, different strengths, right? But, you know, uh, and I'll just be open in our relationship. She is somebody who has great ideas, but she doesn't have to execute on most of them. Hmm. So she'll come in and be like, so I think you should do this, 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 and that, and the other. All right, bye. And I'll be like, all right, I'll pick this up and do what I can with it, right? So that becomes a challenge. You really have to learn each other's uh, work style, personalities, uh, not statementing all over each other and asking more questions. But in our industry, one of the things that, and the reason why I came in when I did uh, and how I did was because there's definitely this interesting, and I'm sure it's not unique to us, but there's definitely this interesting dynamic where, you know, and I'm sure I think you you and Anna did this too, is where you, when you start the business, it's the two of you. Mm -hmm. Like, and you're everything. You're the TC. You're the financial coordinator. You're the collections. You're everything. And so... The janitor. The janitor. Yeah. And as the business grows, one of you out of the two continues to be primary importance and the other person continues to get replaced over and over and over again. Hmm. So you can't be replaced for what you do. Now you can take away having to be the janitor. You can take away some of those things, but ultimately you're still the thing for why we got into business. Mm -hmm. The other person, and I say this as the other person, cause I have clients who it's the opposite. Right. She's the orthodontist and he is sure. the person yeah. where the other partner is now in some instances, less and less needed. Mm -hmm. And that's could be a good thing because that's why we got in business, right? To replace ourselves so we don't have to be the person doing everything. But when it comes to your personality and how you feel, I'm, I'm less needed now. I'm not as important in this business anymore. Um, I don't have as big as a role. Or even if my role expands, like in your guys' case, where she's now the office manager, but now she's tugged to what? Being a mom. And not wanting to be there as much and wanting to do more. And so what yeah. does that dynamic look like? So we have this huge new different dynamic that nobody really talked about or thought about or planned about that now we end up waking up one day going like, oh, this isn't what we really want. How do we change it? And everything in your body, there's a, a book called the, um, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, Dr. Daniel Amen. And I, he's a neuroscientist and I got to meet him one time and I talked to him about this idea around why people get so angry in a relationship when they divorce. And he said, it's because your brain, the, the back of your brain is so, uh, it has created a habit and an addiction to each other that when that's now separated, it's kind of calling for it like a magnet's trying to magnetize mm -hmm. that person back and it's not getting it, so it's frustrated. Mm. Well, I think that happens in our offices too because now our positions are different. We still talk about it all the time. We go home with our business and yet, we really haven't created a solution of how to separate that nice enough to where we both can be happy hmm. and we haven't been intentional about it. It also requires a lot of vulnerability. And this is one thing that I think is so challenging with so many offices or offices with couples. We have to be willing, if we want to have a strong relationship, 
is to be incredibly vulnerable with one one another. To really be able to have a place where we can say whatever we want to each other in a place of love, but truthfulness, so that the other person hears it, doesn't take offense by it, but also is aware of it, and you can mm-hmm. do something about it. Uh, I'll, I'll be, if I can, I'll just Take be as completely long as personal want, yeah. about this. Um, yeah. In the last, so my wife and I have a rule in our marriage called radical transparency. We don't have honesty. I don't believe in honesty. That was assumed <laughs> when I got married that I was going to be honest with her, right? Yeah. But radical transparency has meant for the last 28 years that when we're really, like when we're not in love with each other, it's okay to say that. To be like, you know what? I'm just not in love with you this week. Because the moment I say it, all of a sudden, the power of the thoughts in my head of what if go away. Mm. It's kind of like that movie, The Green Mile with John Coffey, right? It just disappears the moment <laughs> I get it out of my mouth. <laughs> well, um, this last year, a little bit more than a year, uh, my wife and I, we've been building a house and, and it's gone well. That whole part was fine. But we've been struggling with a, uh, a personal issue that has been something that has been between us for my whole life. I've been... It's, it's been a spiritual issue, how we feel spiritually, how we feel connected. And we've both been struggling about it. We would not have survived it if we didn't have this rule hmm. because we have had the best conversations. We are not on the same page. We, we're more on the same page now than we were probably for the past, mm, I'm going to say a good 18 months. But for 18 months, it didn't affect our marriage in a negative way because we could be super vulnerable. Hmm. She could say, honey, I don't really feel like this anymore, or I don't think that's right, or I don't want to talk to our kids like this anymore, or make our kids believe this anymore. And and it's it's like, but you're changing what we thought we were going to believe for the rest of our life. That's a big step. But because we were able to be totally radically transparent with one another, it's been the best thing to our marriage ever. Mm-hmm. We are stronger now than we ever have been before. And it's hard. There's been a lot of tears. There's been a lot of frustration, but never has there been anger. Never has there been the other person's wrong. It's just been, okay, I'm going to be open to you being in that space and being here for you because that's what it's about. When I took a vow to marry my wife, I said, through good times and bad, yeah, through sickness and health. That doesn't mean when I'm feeling good, it feels when, I mean, it means I'm feeling bad too. Sure. When I'm not, when I'm feeling uh, sick, And when you're feeling sick, I'm there for both of us. So it's been really interesting. And I think that's probably the number one challenge that most people have is not being willing to be open and honest, totally radically, transparently vulnerable with one another. Yeah. That's a long answer. No, it's great. So so not being uh, willing, well, not being able to feel safe. Totally. You know, and that's where it comes down to vulnerable. Yep. And vulnerability is not a bad thing, but you know, so, but it's, um, but it is if you don't feel safe. No doubt. If yeah. you don't feel safe, you're yeah. not going to be vulnerable. And it has to be a broker deal. Like both parties totally. have, have to come to the table. So, yep. all right. So there's that, that yep. radical transparency, transparency or candor. Yep. I hear mm-hmm. it kind of, you know, described as that. Sure. Um, I want to try to come up with two other like pearls for people who are in struggling relationships. We mm-hmm. may not be able to. I, I'll, I'll grant I'll grant you one. You could probably yeah. come up with 15. Yeah. Um, I think one is just uh, lack of intentionality. Um, yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, in our businesses, we meet, and I think this is also true of families, we meet, you know, 10 times minimally, like in a very focused, like half day, day way to yeah. talk about building the business and hitting production measures. Every day, most of us have a huddle. 
Yep. Most of us have channels where we're discussing goals and we've set all these things. Very intentional, yep. you know, because it's a business. You yep. have a spreadsheet, right? Yep. Um, but so many of us, like, you know, if, if you're a Christian, let's say, like, how often do you have a devotional as a family? Or how yeah. often do you, you know, read the Bible or pray together? Sure. Or how often do you go eat dinner together? Or when you eat dinner, is the, are the phones gone? You know, those sorts of things, like, in a business setting, yep. you know, there will be posts like, yeah, I'm a team member. I caught him on her cell phone and... Should, what should I do? You know, it's like, well, what about if your kid's at the dinner table with the phone? You know, so, and I don't mean what to be- What if you're at the yeah. dinner table with the phone? Yeah, well, sure. That's, yeah. Never has happened. Never. Um, <laughs> and so I, I think there's some of that, like, meeting together. Great point. Um, which which breeds intentionality, or maybe mm-hmm. intentionality breeds the meeting, but, you know, yeah. you get the point. So I would offer that. Give me, give me a third one. Let me add to that, though. Yeah, I have a thing called the marriage mastermind that we implemented. Hmm? And it's four specific things that you talk about because okay. of the biggest challenges that most people come up with and or deal with in their marriage. And it's everything from money to schedule. A schedule is such a big one, especially when you have little kids, right? Yeah. Uh, money and security. So what we talk about, though, is that for the couple who are the CEO or the co-CEOs yeah. of, the, of the family – is that it has to be, as you said, intentional. There's no phones at the time. You can't be hungry. You yeah. can't be super grumpy. You can't be super late. But it's got to be, this is a meeting we have. And so this is something Shannon and I have implemented for years. And uh, I actually, and you guys will be getting this soon, is that we actually have a, a, a breakdown of what it looks like. And how do you go through this, mar- this marriage mastermind? And it always ends with the reward. Right? It's always like, okay, we're going to go on a walk together. We're going to go eat together. Mm-hmm. We're going to have some alone time together, whatever that looks like. But it's intentional in that sense. So I think that's great. Uh, the third thing I would say is kind of like it, but not focus on um, this stuff is getting away together mm-hmm. as a couple, no kids. Listen, I know I come from a place of privilege right now where I'm an empty nester and it is the greatest <laughs> thing ever. And yeah. I highly recommend it. Looking forward to it. Um, but we made it a, such a, a, a an important thing in our marriage since our kids were little. We went away together. If it was a weekend at a motel down the street, if it was when we had no money whatsoever, it didn't matter. We had to take that time for ourselves. And I wanted to show my kids this. Actually, I have a fourth one I want to share with you because of this. Great. I want to. Um, I really wanted my kids to see that mom and I took time to cultivate our relationship. And we would tell them specifically, hey, we're going away. You're going to stay. And they got used to it real fast. They, yeah. It was fine. The fourth thing that is uh, akin to it is one of the most important rules I put in our relationship with our kids especially was the hierarchy of understanding that mom was the most important person in this mm-hmm. family to me. And I am the most important person in this family to mom. And unless you're talking about cases of abuse and all that, and of course, we'll put that out there. But in a normal situation, I wanted my girls to know that they, I want them to find a partner in their life who treats them like that, and my son to be the man that would grow up to treat his partner like that. Hmm. And what it did is, and I mean, I'm literally, we, I would sit my kids up, my kids will tell you now, I would sit them as little kids and say, I love you to death, I will die for you, dad's always here for you, and... Mom's number one. There was never a time in the teenage years where there was the pit mom against dad. There was never a time where they didn't think we weren't a united front. Now, there were times I didn't agree with my wife, and there were times she didn't agree with me, but we would still be have each other's back in front of the kids, and then afterwards we would discuss something. Hmm. 
But that was such a powerful thing to know that my kids knew there was a hierarchy in our family. And it also was important for me to know that about Shannon and her to know that about me, that we put each other first. And it's been awesome. It's the, I think it's one of the reasons, you know, there's a stat, it was, I think through Canada, I'm going to mess it up, but it was above 60%. I want to say it was up to like 68%. The highest growing divorce, uh, age range in Canada and the United States was uh, 60, 65. Wow. Think about that. Empty you nesters. made it, you made it that far. Yeah. yeah. And you know why? It's because a lot of people put all the focus on the kids right? and they just hold on tight or they white knuckle it until the kids get out of the house and they look at each other and go, who are you? Yeah. I don't even like you. <laughs> and then they leave. Yeah. I never wanted that. I wanted to make sure, no, I was thrilled when my kids, I'm, we all cried for a moment and then the kids left and it was all good. And now we're, I love being with my wife. Well, we, we idolize family and children and over-prioritize their activities, I think, yep. I think yep. culturally and, totally. and family is a good thing, Sure, but this is actually one of my favorite parts from seven habits is like, what is at your core should not be your family or even your wife. Yep. Uh, it should be your value system. That's right. You know, but yes, yep. we can do we can do this all day. Great stuff. Relationships. Now your relationships, they're all fixed. <laughs> we fixed all your relationships. Let's move on to sales. Yeah, I love sales. Because if your if your relationship's going to fail, the divorce is going to be expensive. <laughs> so you're going to have to sell more. Okay, that's not where I was going. I was going with relationships and sales. Same thing. Okay, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> take it how you want, you know, tomato, tomato. All right. So you have written a book called Selling Through the Screen, yeah. Mastering the Art of Connecting, Communicating, and Closing the Sale Virtually. Yeah. I would like an Oxford comma after communicating, but that's fine. That's just me. Oh, that's nice. just me. I'm that sounds funny. great. Yeah. All right. I'll that sure sounds great. That Whatever the next that is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the revised I version. I just learned what that was. That Oxford about, comma? About two weeks ago. That there are not enough commas in the world for me. I'm a, I'm a you know, my mom was an English teacher. Give me all the commas. And, and Love the, it. the M dash, if you don't know what an EM dash is, uh -huh. Google it later. One of my favorite punctuations. All right. Okay. Yeah, I could rank my five punctuations, but we'll do that later. All right. So the Interabang is number two for sure. All right. So. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> Question mark and exclamation so point. You never, you don't know an interrobang. Someone out there does. All right. Um, not a fan of periodontists or interrobangs. Okay. I love it. Yeah. All right. I so learn. Um, what are some ways that those in an orthodontic practice can sell through a screen? Yeah. This is a softball for you. Yeah. This is this. That book came through the pandemic, obviously, mm -hmm. and I actually ended up finishing writing it as we were kind of getting out of the pandemic of just the idea of like don't you understand this was a great opportunity yeah. for us to evolve our practices. And the, the fact is in, in normal world, not in the orthodontic world, in the normal world, uh, selling through the screen is not going away. It's yeah. a huge opportunity. It actually uh, democratizes being able to connect with so many people. Mm -hmm. And there are huge businesses being created. Look at, look at somebody like a Tony Robbins, for example, right? Yep. He was able to fill stadiums with people, 35, 40,000 people, and that was amazing. Now, he can do that and have 75,000 people from around the world at the same time. It's wild. That's a huge impact. Mm -hmm. So how do we take that to our business and realize that there's two things that every single person on the planet wants more, time and convenience. Everyone wants more time. Everyone wants more convenience. Hmm. No one's going to get more time. You have this certain amount of time. Nobody knows what that time is. You never know when it's up. Hmm. But throughout your day and your week, you know you have 24 hours and seven days a week. 
if as a business owner, I can position myself to let my possible customers, or in our case, patients, know that you care more about their time and their convenience. So that's why you have virtual consultations. That's why you have the ability to give them treatment, 50% of the treatment, at least virtually, you're going to set yourself up in a way that nobody else in your area is doing. You become the unique, different person. You look at people who are doing this right now. Actually, this started, this conversation started before COVID with, um, for people who know Dr. Waldman out of California, mm -hmm. and they were not even doing it virtually. They were doing it over the phone. He had a TC who was living in Florida, like his office in California, and she would do the consult over the phone. First of all, he made everybody pay for it if they wanted to come into the office. He charged if you came in the office and wow. it did not go to the fee. Right. It was to come in. So they only accepted the uh, the consult to be over the phone. <clears throat> Stacy, I interviewed her when she was doing this and she's amazing. Uh, she's moved on since then. But then um, you have people like Dr. Farina in uh, Florida, Dr. Bills up in uh, New Jersey. These guys are seeing how because they're offering it and they have a system down, all of a sudden, they're able to sell through the screen, understand how to talk to people, how to connect with people, how to look at their teeth. They're killing it. Mm. It's a huge part of their business now. So yeah. I think it's a great opportunity for so many people right now. I mean, we're going to be digital. We might as well be digital, right? Yeah, That's sure. called if, if People talk about digital offices right now like crazy, and they only focus on things like scans or 3D yeah. printing. Right. Well, let's make it all digital. Yeah. Yeah, at some point they've got to come into the practice. Yeah, totally. eventually. Yeah, well, that's but I do one of the think that about there's a certain like element of pre-selling that's yeah. essential marketing-wise. Yep. You know, but yep. this is like a whole nother level of pre-selling. Think of all the yeah. people that come in that are just shoppers, mm -hmm. right there alone. If you could just get rid of the shopping aspect of it and yeah. let them shop through the screen, spend twenty minutes talking to them. And then go to the net and let them, oh, yeah, and then invite them in. Yeah, you're a great client, candidate, da, 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 have them come in. And then do that piece. You're now going to see a higher close rate because those people are now more serious. Yeah. So, and there's obviously a methodology to it. There's, you got to be dedicated to it. Yep. These guys don't do it because they do it. They're not successful because they do it every once in a while. I mean, Waldman's a really interesting uh, case because he only does that. <laughs> I mean, that's, 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 that takes some guts, that's right? Amazing, that yeah. takes some guts to be like, I'm only doing this. And I'm not suggesting that for everybody. I'm just using these guys as extreme examples of, if you want to try to set yourself apart, here's one very easy. Yes, it takes a little bit of a learning curve at the beginning to get people right. That's why I wrote the book, to how to do it. But then after they do it, you've got a whole different way to separate yourself. Yeah, the guy down the street, he's $500 cheaper than you. But you got to go in for all those appointments. You offer but, you time know, and convenience. That's right. Yeah. Very cool. Um, I think, you know, for us, it works best in a hybrid sense. Yeah. So obviously there's an office it. stuff. I think vast majority, 99.999% are doing it hybrid. Yeah. And probably more of an emphasis on in-person still. Right. Who knows when that might end yeah. someday? And who knows when we can do everything completely remote? I have no idea. Yeah. There will probably be a time where we put on little virtual headsets and we kind of... Oh, I'm uh, so I excited can, for I that. can examine the mouth and, you know, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. You know, it's at least theoretically possible. But we're not there yet. So no. um, I want your best, like, 
low hanging fruit pro tips for in person sales. Okay. I know you go and you sit in exam rooms yep. and you listen to people. Yeah. We had <laughs> we had one that I was trying to be you know quick and then I was talking twenty five minutes it about was, football. It right. Was, yeah. It was so good. I'm telling yeah. you. Okay. I love right. what you did. Well, Tell, tell us your best tips for uh, selling more in the exam room. Well, uh, you know what? I'm going to go off of that. The number okay. one tip, number one tip that people do not do is tell their story. Okay. People don't tell their story about their own braces story. I was in an office two days ago and, you know, listen, I, I love all my fellow consultants in the industry. I don't actually consider myself a consultant. I look more at the strategy side of things, but for the most part. There's some few changes, but when it comes to the presentation part of it, everyone kind of teaches the same thing. Yeah. Like it's it's not a huge shift. So what I notice is people getting so stuck into the presentation of what they're doing that they're not creating creating a personality about what they're doing. Mm. The first way to connect with somebody always, since we were cavemen, was tell your story. Mm -hmm. So what if when you first sat down, you ask the person, yeah, have you ever had, this is what always happens. So have you ever had treatment before, had braces before? Or you ask mom and they'll say, yeah, I had it when I was a kid. It's like, oh, okay, cool. And they go on to the next thing. <laughs> that's a that's a leading question. Yeah. Whatever they say, you get to create a conversation off of. But if you were to be able to say, hey, so when I got braces, I was uh, 12 years old. My parents were in the middle of a divorce. And so uh, every time that payment came every month, the braces the, the fee was my fault they got an argument is because they had to pay that fee. Mm. But I'll tell you, I loved my braces. I wasn't a great patient. I had braces for four years. <laughs> I ate everything you weren't supposed to eat. And you wanna know why I did that is because uh, I wanted the attention and braces gave me attention. See, when I was a kid, not everybody had braces. Not all the kids in my school had braces, so it gave me attention. And I got to go in and see a bunch of people who paid attention to me every time I went in. Hmm. And even when they were twisting the the wires really hard and it was tightening everything up and I knew I wasn't gonna eat anything but jello and uh, pudding for two days, hmm. I loved it because they gave me attention. So I kept them on for four years. <laughs> now I don't want you to keep them on for four years, but I want you to know, like what happened there? Everyone listening just heard the story. They heard, saw themselves in the story, hmm. they got, Man, it, why is that not number one sales tool? The number two sales tool that nobody that not nobody does, but most people I think do a poor job at is just assuming the sale. Mm. Listen, they walk in this office. There's no mother out there that number one, when their dentist told them that little Johnny needed braces, didn't get on Facebook and first thing she says, hey, little Johnny needs braces. How much did you pay and who did you go to? They already know. They already know on a sure. general basis yeah. how much braces are going to cost. So if they've taken the time to take little Johnny out of school, come into your office, and it's probably not the first time they did it, uh, To they went to another office before, I'm going to assume that they want it. I am going to just say everything I can to say, you're getting these, come hell or high water, we're making this happen, we're going to be your best choice ever. Oh, you've been to two other uh, consults before? All right, what do we need to do? to make sure we're your last. Like, what an what a, what a obvious question you should ask, but nobody does. Yeah. So low-hanging fruit to me, sales and assuming, I mean, story and assuming always. Cool, I like it. Yeah, um, I, I talk about in a lecture about storytelling and how uh, good stories, they, they breed trust. Um, yeah, and, that's a great and, point. And trust is predicated most on um, 
knowing who someone is and feeling like you have a relationship with mm -hmm. them. And so basically that is that. I That's mean, right. Understanding someone's story allows you to know who they are when it's a story that people can connect to yeah. and they feel like there's a sort of relationship there. Yeah. Um, from a pre-marketing or a pre-sales standpoint, social media is very powerful because it's a great way to tell that story and to connect yes. with people. So they have an awareness of who you are. Hopefully they perceive you as the expert in that field. Yep. And then if they feel like they have a relationship, which is that weird thing about the virtual world is, is that someone can know a lot about you and you know nothing about them. And mm -hmm. there's this sort of one-sided relationship as it were. Yeah. But when those people walk in, you don't have to do a lot of anything. Nope. If anything, you can mess it up by doing too much. So um, I'm well, right there with you. There's a, you know, there's that saying in sales, which people buy from people they know, like, and trust. Uh, I don't go. remember who it was, but there was, uh, it was a mentor of mine or somebody years ago who said, actually, it's not that people buy from people they know, like, and trust. It's that people buy from people that they know, like, and trust them. So when you can show somebody that you trust them enough to tell them your story, when you show them that you trust them enough to, oh, oh, that's what it was in the book Influence uh, by Robert Cialdini. Cialdini. Yeah. He tells the story, I think it's an influence or a persuasion, one of those. He tells the story of the, the salesperson, the insurance salesperson who is in the home and about 10 minutes into the home goes, oh, you know what? I forgot something in my car. And he goes out to the car. Oh, before he goes out the car, he says, is it okay if I just let myself back in? And if they say, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, just let yourself back in, he knows he has them trusting him. Hmm. And he leaves all of his stuff out, open, and goes out to the car to show them, I trust you, hmm. that you're probably going to look at my stuff and that's okay. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's good stuff. All right. Great sales stuff. Yeah. This had to this come. This has been fun. This, well, of course it's been fun. We yeah, like this. We both like to talk, right? Yeah, it was yeah, a TV theme. So, you know, That's a, right. Um, so we're going to finish with a word. This feels like a sort of a mild SAT word. Mm -hmm. There's probably some people that don't know what this word means. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And that word is languishing. Yeah. Not a word that I use all the time. No. Um, sort of a poetic word, maybe. Um, what is languishing? So languishing, uh, according to psychology, is the, uh, the, the stepchild of mental health. Oh. It's the forgotten stepchild of mental health. And what it is, is it's come up quite a bit. There's a great article written by uh, Adam Grant. And what it is, is in psychology, they basically look at your mental health based upon depression or thriving. And languishing is right in the middle. And it's something that a lot of people really didn't mm -hmm. put a lot of, of attention to. And languishing is when you just don't feel excited about anything. You get home and you're kind of really done with the day. You um, you get distracted way easier than you normally do. Mm. You don't feel like working really. I think it's, it's one of the reasons why we've seen in the last two years so many people either not showing up to work more often or accepting a job and then not even coming into the job. Um, yeah. The, the number one actually indicator of it, which is very interesting, is from a Chinese proverb, uh, a Chinese saying, and it is bedtime revenge procrastination. And what it means is, is that you feel so frustrated internally that you've given your life up for the day that when you get home, you don't really do anything and you mm -hmm. end up staying up way too late, scrolling on your phone even watch, watching one more Netflix show. Oh, I can just watch one more episode. And what it's done is um, the, the, the studies have been coming out a lot about it since COVID. 
Hmm. And the biggest challenge with it is that if you are stuck and languishing um, and you don't do anything about it, you don't do the remedy, which I'll tell you what that is in a second, is that within 10 years, you will experience severe depression. Hmm. So it's important. It's important for us to understand that our team members are probably going through it, a lot of them anyways. There hasn't been a time in a lecture or in a team that I've gone to and I've, I've asked them these questions beforehand that at least 50% aren't like, yep, that's me. Number one is is being able to label, label it and know that's languishing. It's normal. It's what people are going through. The pandemic brought a lot of that out from a lot of people because we didn't feel like we had control over anything in our lives. And so what do we have control over? Scrolling. What do we have control over? Not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so we rebelled against it. And I see this in, in doctors and team members. It doesn't matter who patients, of course. And I saw it in myself. When I first started reading, my wife actually brought me the article and I started researching it. And I just was like, yep, 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 that's me. And it, it becomes something that will hold you back. Now, I used to talk about it years ago in my marriage courses, especially with men. I saw this men who would stay up way too late going to bed. And um, I have a rule in my marriage course, which is uh, husband and wife need to go to bed together. Hmm. Now, it doesn't mean they have to sleep at the same time, but they need to close down their day together. As you mentioned earlier, you're going to pray together. You're going to do something to where you're like days over. Well, I'd have a lot of men who were just like getting up and doing nothing. They'd go scroll on the computer and there's always when it's late and they're alone, usually some bad stuff happens there by themselves. Nothing right? good happens after midnight. Yeah, That's, right? always, That's yeah. right. Yeah. And so I was talking to this one gentleman one time. He was a, uh, he was a real estate agent. His wife is a doctor. And I um, was like, hey, Matt, I, I just have a thought. This might be one of the reasons why you're doing this. And I didn't know it was called languishing at the time. And I said, um, hey, Matt, do you ever feel that when you are staying up late at night, you're staying up because you know you didn't get the things done today that you wanted to get done? And the only thing waiting for you tomorrow is disappointment because you didn't get the things done that you want to get done today. And you're just going to repeat that again. Mm. And this guy, <clears throat> probably six foot three, he was an ex-football player, big man. He just crumbled and mm. he started bawling. And he was just like, I feel like this every night and I never get it done. I'm never doing it right. Our marriage isn't doing well. I'm not being a great father. I'm not hitting all the goals I want at work. I'm not... And he just started going through this. And if I would have known back then that it was called languishing, it would have been a lot easier. But I just recognized it and went, wow, how many men feel like that? And it doesn't matter how successful you are, you feel like you are. I mean, I, look, I believe that our society in general right now is not very pro-man. And I understand parts of that. But I also feel like, gosh, we don't want to lose all these great men either. And... We've seen an increase in suicide. I mean, that's the reason I, one of the reasons I got into this industry and my mission. We've seen an increase in divorce. We've seen an increase in depression. And so when I saw this languishing, I just felt it was really important to start talking about it more, putting it out there, because the remedy of it is pretty simple. Number one is to recognize that that's what it's called. Number two is to find flow. Now, flow is that state that you get into when you're drumming, right? It's when I'm, when I'm dancing. Uh, it's when I'm on stage. Uh, flow is that state where time disappears. Mm -hmm. It's that state where you can just be focused and and in and doing whatever it is that you don't have to think about all the other stuff in the world. And 
when I talk about time blocking, you should time block time to flow. And um, flow is the remedy to it. And the more you can get into it, the better. Now, some people get into flow at work. Some people can be like just in the mouth and just enjoying it, and I get that. But what is it that you can find that actually helps you get into flow or helps your team members get into flow or encourage them to get in flow to where they can feel that they've been able to capture back all the stuff that's been taken away from them through musts, like they have to do this because they got to pay a bill. Uh, they have to do this because it's their duty. And the one thing that they can own and get into. And so flow is the fastest way to get out of it. And uh, I think more and more people need to put the focus on that and and it'll completely change the way languishing is happening in their life. Wow, it's a lot. Yeah. I have some thoughts. It's not, it's certainly not a rebuttal. It's no, a, let's do it. It's 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 opening all these gates of uh, things I want to chase after. Yeah. There's so many rabbit holes now. I guess it, it reminds me of like what's like the cultural issue right now, I think is like always the question. And the reality is, is, you know, we're always on our cell phones. You look at photos from the 1920s and all these people are on a train reading the newspaper. I mean, right. we, we have always sought ways yep. to distract ourselves or to yep. feel less socially awkward or whatever. Yeah. I think increasingly... Um, some things that have changed. Okay, uh, man, this would be a huge cultural commentary, but uh, hookup culture, um, mm. not committing to something is, is kind of more and more uh, the norm. 100%. Um, attention span is getting shorter and shorter and shorter, and we're being trained in that way by our devices. Yeah. The way that shows are edited. I'm a huge fan of like, you know, 1970s, like, you know, the golden era of filmmaking. Shots are very long. Mm -hmm. Now when you look at like the, and you've done a TV show, so like the 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 pace of, um, you know, changing and blocking. Editing and all, like, and all that stuff. It, yeah. Editing, it's so fast. Sure. Because we don't have much of an attention span. And I think it is the um, idolization and the putting up a, on a pedestal of um, immediacy and, totally. and quickness and the short-term gain and all that kind of stuff. Um, and what ultimately happens with all those things, and especially a purely digital world, is it does not ultimately breed happiness. Yeah. It breeds sort of a dopamine hit in that initial, and it makes us feel like this is good. Like, yep. I remember the first time, like, Netflix was a thing, and you could watch, I can watch the next episode, I don't have to wait. Right. It was an amazing thing. Yeah. But now, you sit there for 10 hours, and you've watched this entire show, and you're sort of like, did I even enjoy that? You right. know? And so HBO, I still feel like, understands the idea of releasing an episode at a time. Mm -hmm. It creates a water cooler moment where we're all kind of, you know, of the same mind. And so now we're so separated out and kind of parsed out, having our own little experience that's a one-to-one -one yeah. with something that actually doesn't bring us happiness. And so I would say to the languishing thing, it's almost like a failure to thrive. Yeah. And thriving only comes with intentionality and good relationships and occasionally touching grass, as it were. You totally know? agree. Um, and so I think that is sort of like a, the, the bow on the top of our conversations on mm -hmm. team culture and mm -hmm. our conversations on relationships and maybe mm -hmm. our conversation on languishing. Yeah. And I hate to know that there's orthodontists and there's team members that are in that moment of languishing and the way that they seek to fix it is either with short-term dopamine hits, yep. alcohol, drugs, yep. uh, Netflix, you know, yeah, it's totally. not as bad as alcohol and drugs, but yeah. it's not going to breed ultimate happiness or just quitting altogether and just saying, yep. screw it, you know? Um, Kyle, I, I just yeah. want to put a button on that because one of the- I put a bow, you'll put a button. It's great. Go <laughs> I, well, I questioned you even when I was coming out for the first time to visit your office and I did yeah. this to every office to come to visit because people, I mean, I don't take on, I take on in between nine and 12 clients a year. Okay. And- I do that intentionally, but I go and see a lot of offices per year. And before I got to the office, I'll ask them, I said, is this just like a shot in the arm 
for them to like for you to be able to say, hey, look, I mm-hmm. I gave him a short term. Dino was fun. We enjoyed ourselves thing. Or are you looking for some long term? Yeah. Right. And for the most part, most people are just looking for it. No, no, no. I just want to like give him a good time. Hmm. To your point. Yeah. We sure. are just looking for the quick fix, the quick mm. dopamine hit and moving on. And I don't think that's going to, and I'm not saying this for me, I'm just saying this in general, like you, to, to your point is that, man, how often do we do that? And yet go back to the flow thing. Flow doesn't allow you to be distracted. Hmm. When you're in the drums, I don't care if that phone's ringing or whatever, you are on it. You're, that's, right. that's it. There's, there's your focus. And the more we do that, when you leave there, when you leave a, how long were you practicing last night? Two hours? Two and a half, yeah. Two and a half hour session. You leave fulfilled. Yeah. You leave like exhausted. Yeah, I was gonna say I left with lower back pain. That yeah. yeah, yeah. And it but it's something you're willing to go through no doubt. because it's your thing. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Oh. Well, and so my advice to everyone is is if you feel like you're in a state of languishing, <laughs> work with a professional, mm-hmm. figure it out, go see a doctor, go see a therapist. Yeah. And become intentional about it and write down some goals and, and seek to improve it in the same way we do with other stuff that's far less important than yeah. our mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, we do not want to be in major depression. It's hard to, to get yourself out of that. Yeah. So start losing weight now. Start working on your mental health now, et cetera, et cetera. This was awesome. I knew it was going to be awesome. Oh, this the, you know, it was great. So uh, thanks for rearranging your schedule. He, he pushed whoever you were that got your call pushed so that this fine. could be filmed. I appreciate it. Um, I'm also super excited to have you in the practice today and tomorrow. I'm also excited about lunch. My stomach is just just growling, growling. Just growling. growling. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah. probably hear it through the mic. Um, and so if anyone is interested in you working with their team, I was not contractually obligated to say this. I had Dino uh, on the show out of the volition of my own, but uh, yeah. how would someone work with you? Uh, yeah, well, definitely come to DinoWatt.com. Okay. Uh, by the time this airs, it might be DinoWattConsulting.com. I'm splitting oh. it into two websites because okay. of my speaking and stuff. Got it. Uh, but yeah, just reach out to me, Dino at DinoWatt.com, and we'll see what we can do. Okay. What about uh, meetings that are coming up? I know there's yeah. Ortho Evolution. There's other stuff. W- what's coming up? Yeah. One of my most exciting ones is uh, Team Transformation Experience Part 2 is happening okay. in June because yep. Team Transformation Experience 1 was so well received uh, that we were asked to do it again. And we're doing a continuation of it. We're not doing the same thing again. Uh, so we're going to really focus on team bonding and and connection. And uh, so you can go to yourteamtransformation.com and find out about that. We got Ortho Evolution in July. I'm at AO. I'm at PCSO. I think I'm at almost everything. That's You're at all the O's. Now. I'm pretty much at all the yeah. O's. And there's a lot of O's happening. All my we, favorite chips in with O's. So Doritos, Fritos, uh, those Taquitos <laughs> chips. I don't, I don't know. have Taquitos. You don't? Taquitos. The Takis. Oh, Takis. I don't know. I mean, it kind of made I, I'll go with the Doritos it. and the Fritos. Yeah. Thing. What are the little onion chips? Funyuns. That doesn't end in those. Nope. But those are fantastic. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> thank you. So DinoWatt.com and all the other stuff as well. Um, I've got my upcoming stuff, if I can pitch it really quick. Yeah. This is where, you know, the people that enjoyed the Peridonis joke, the people that were waiting for the dinner, this is where they exit the podcast. Oh, is it? So yeah. the, the true followers, the good so people. So you got to seed it with like, oh, but yeah. after this, but after I'm going to give away yeah. $1,000 worth of something. I know. I <laughs> you know, I need to get better at that. But uh, I'm going to be on a panel at the uh, Orthopreneurs Residence uh, meeting, which is Saturday, February 25th. First time they're ever doing that. That's in Dallas. Hope you'll be there. If you're a resident and you're not signed up, you're like, what the heck is that? Check with Glenn Krieger. Um, I'm also very excited to announce uh, the first ever Orthodontic Awards. I looked around and I thought, you know what? 
there should be an award ceremony for orthodontics, and so we're doing that. We're going to give away 20 different awards from like every aspect of orthodontics, some that you're probably not expecting. There will be over 100 nominees. You'll go and you'll vote, and then the winner will get a golden molar, which you may have seen. The mandibular first molar, right? First molar for what it's worth. Um, we're going to do an award ceremony of some type at the AAO in Chicago, and there's more details inside the Digital Ortho Facebook group. Lastly, I'll also be at the AAO, which is in Chicago, April 21st through 23rd. I'll be playing with relapse. I'll be lecturing. I'll be doing an award ceremony now, apparently, so that'll be fun. Uh, we have a new book that's going to come out. Lots of stuff. Um, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, man, that's great. Thank you. Uh, I would love it if you give me a five-star review. And I always say that, and we get a couple, they sprinkle in, but I want like a waterfall yeah. of reviews. You know, review. You not? ask your patients for, for it, do it for waiting. this. Waiting, yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, uh, join that. There's like 5,600 people in there. It's a great group, the Digital Orthodontists on Facebook. Uh, and then finally, thank you. You spent a lot of time with us, I don't know, an hour, maybe more. That's I don't awesome. I know. It was yeah. a good conversation. Nice. Time flies. Um, and so uh, thank you for watching. Thank you to Dino Watt, of course, for My being pleasure. here, for being an incredible guest. And thank you to Neon Canvas for sponsoring, for giving us this table to rest our weight on. Um, and last but not least, thank you to my team, Alan, right over here with the headphones on, Scott, who's down the hall, Kurt down there who designs stuff, Tom, who's over in Alabama, and then my wife, Anna, who always helps. She puts stuff on cards for me. Thank you, Anna. And uh, yeah, from all of us here at the Digital Orthodontist Live, I'm Dr. Kyle Fagala, signing off. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.